chapter three of asphodel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org asphodel by mary elizabeth braddon chapter three and volatile as i was his usage another brilliant summer day a cloudless blue sky a world steeped in sunshine on the broad gravelled space in front of the palace railings the heat and glare would have been too much for a salamander and even daphne who belonged to the salamander species in so much as she had an infinite capacity for enjoying sunshine blinked a little as she crossed the shelterless promenade under her big two-sore parasol a delightfully cool-looking figure in a plain white muslin gown and a muslin shepherdess hat poor miss toby's chronic headache had been a little worse this morning heroically had she striven to fulfil her duty albeit to lift her leaden head from the pillow was absolute agony she sat at the breakfast-table white ghastly uncomplaining pouring out coffee at the very odour of which her bilious soul sickened vainly did daphne entreat her to go back to bed and to leave her charges to take care of themselves as they had done yesterday we won't go to the forest any more till you are able to go with us said daphne dimly conscious that her behaviour in that woodland region had been open to blame we can just go quietly to the palace and stroll through the rooms with the few tourists who are likely to be there to-day the fontainebleau season has hardly begun don't you know and we may have nobody but the guide and of course he must be a respectable person my dear i was sent here to take care of you both and i must do my duty answered miss toby with a sickly smile yesterday my temples throbbed so that i could hardly move but i am a little better to-day and i shall put on my bonnet and come with you she rose staggered a few paces towards the adjacent chamber and reeled like a landsman at sea then she sank into the nearest chair and breathed a weary sigh it's no use toby darling cried daphne bending over her with tenderest sympathy to be tender sweet and sympathetic in little outward ways tones of voice smiles and looks was one of daphne's dangerous gifts my dearest toby why struggle against the inevitable she urged it is simply one of your regular bilious attacks all you have to do is to lie quietly in a dark room and sleep it off just as you have so often done before to-morrow you will be as well as i am then why not wait till to-morrow for seeing the palace said miss toby faintly and amuse yourselves at home for once in a way you really ought to study a little daphne madame will be horrified if she finds you have done no work all this time but i do work of an evening sometimes dearest expostulated daphne and i am sure you would not like us to be half suffocated all day in this stifling little salon poring over horrid books we should be having the fever next and then how would you account to madame for your stewardship don't be irreverent daphne said miss toby who thought that any use of scriptural phrases out of church was a kind of blasphemy 
i think you would really be better indoors upon such a day as this but i feel too languid to argue the point what would you like best martha miss dibb who employed every odd scrap of spare time in the development of her magnum opus in crochet work looked up with a glance of indifference and was about to declare her willingness to stay indoors for ever so that the crochet counterpane might flourish and wax wide when a stealthy frown from daphne checked her daphne would rather see the palace to-day i know she replied meekly and i think with a nervous glance at her schoolfellow who was scowling savagely i think i would rather go too well sighed miss toby i have made an effort but i feel that i could not endure the glare out of doors you must go alone be sure you are both very quiet if there are tourists about don't giggle or look round at people or make fun of their gowns and bonnets as you are too fond of doing it is horribly unladylike and if any stranger should try to get into conversation with you of course only a low-bred person would do such a thing pray remember that your own self-respect would counsel you to be dumb can you suppose we would speak to any one exclaimed daphne as she tripped away to her little bedroom next door to miss toby's it was the queerest little room with a narrow white muslin curtained bed in a recess and a marvellous piece of furniture which was washstand chest of drawers and dressing-table all in one a fly-spotted glass inclining from the wall above this multum in parvo was daphne's only mirror here she put on her muslin hat with a bouquet of blue cornflowers perched coquettishly on the brim making a patch of bright cool colour that refreshed the eye never had she looked prettier than this midsummer morning even the fly-spotted clouded old glass told her as much as that if if he were to be doing the chateau to-day she thought tremulous with excitement how strange it would be but that's not likely he is not of the common class of tourists who all follow the same beaten track i dare say he will idle away the afternoon in the woods just as he did yesterday martha shall we go to the forest to-day and leave the chateau to be done to-morrow with toby daphne asked when she and her companion were crossing the wide parade-ground where the soldiers trotted by with a great noise and clatter early in the morning with a fanfare of trumpets and an occasional roll of a drum it might seem kinder to poor dear toby don't you know i think it would be very wrong daphne answered the serious martha we told miss toby we were going to the palace and we are bound to go straight there and nowhere else besides i want to see the pictures and statues and things and i'm sick to death of that forest after one day oh martha what an unromantic soul you must have i could live and die there if i had pleasant company i've always envied rosalind and celia they must have been very glad when they got home said martha out of the blinding whiteness of the open street they went in at a gate to a gravelled quadrangle where the sun seemed to burn with yet more fiery heat even daphne felt breathless but it was a pleasant feeling the delight of absolute summer which comes so seldom in the changeful year then they went under an archway and into the inner quadrangle with the white palace on all sides of them it wanted some minutes of eleven and they were shown into a cool official-looking room where they were to wait till the striking of the hour the room was panelled painted white a room of louis the fourteenth's time most likely what little furniture there was being quaint and rococo but not old the blinds were down the shutters half closed and the room was in deep shadow 
how nice gasped martha who had been panting like a fish out of water all the way it is like coming into a grotto said daphne sinking into a chair it is not half so nice as the forest said a voice in the semi-darkness daphne gave a visible start she had mused upon the possibility of meeting her acquaintance of yesterday and had decided that the thing was unlikely yet her spirits had been buoyed by a lurking idea that he might crop up somehow before the day was done but to find him here at the very beginning of things was startling did you know that we were coming here to-day she faltered hadn't the slightest idea but i wanted to see the place myself he answered coolly daphne blushed rosy red deeply ashamed of her foolish impulsive speech the stranger had been sitting in that cool shade for the last ten minutes and his eyes had grown accustomed to the obscurity he saw the blush he saw the bright expressive face under the muslin hat the slim figure in the white frock every line sharply accentuated against a grey background the slender hand in a long swedish glove she looked more womanly in her white gown and hat and yet more childlike than she had looked yesterday in blue and scarlet they sat for about five minutes in profound silence daphne usually loquacious felt as if she could not have spoken for the world martha was by nature stolid and inclined to dumbness the stranger was watching daphne's face in a lazy reverie thinking that his hurried sketch of yesterday was not half so lovely as the original and yet it had seemed to him almost the prettiest head he had ever painted the provoking minx has hardly one good feature he thought it is an utterly unpaintable beauty a beauty of colour life and movement photograph her asleep and she would be as plain as a pikestaff how different from he gave a faint sigh and was startled from his musing by the door opening with a bang and an official calling out this way ladies and gentlemen they crossed the blazing courtyard in the wake of a brisk little gentleman in uniform who led them up a flight of stone steps and into a stony hall thence to the chapel and then to an upper story and over polished floors through long suites of rooms every one made more or less sacred by historical memories here was the table on which napoleon the great signed his abdication while his old guard waited in the quadrangle below daphne looked first at the table and then out of the window almost as if she expected to see that faithful soldiery drawn up in the stony courtyard grim bearded men who had fought and conquered on so many a field victors of lodi and arcola austerlitz and jena friedland and wagram and who knew now that all was over and their leader's star had gone down then the two rooms hallowed by noble marie antoinette lovely alike in felicity and in ruin smaller prettier more homelike rooms came next where the citizen king and his gentle wife tasted the sweetness of calm domestic joys a tranquil gracious family circle to be transferred with but a brief interval of stormy weather to the quiet reaches of the thames in horace walpole's beloved county of twits then back to the age of tournaments and tented fields and lo they were in the rooms which courtly francis built and adorned and glorified by his august presence here amidst glitter of gold and glow of colour the great king charles v's rival and victor lived and loved and shed sunshine upon an adoring court here from many a canvas fresh as if painted yesterday looked the faces of the past names fraught with romantic memories sanctify every nook and corner of the palace everywhere appears the cipher of diana of poitiers linked with that of her royal lover henry the second 
catherine de medici must have looked upon those interlaced initials many a time in the period of her probation looked and held her peace and schooled herself to patience waiting till fortune's wheel should turn and bring her day of power here in this long lofty chamber sunlit beautiful the faded mandaldeshi's life-blood stained the polished floor to say the least of it the act was an impertinence on queen christina's part seeing that she was only a visitor at fontainebleau said the stranger languidly don't you think so popilla daphne required to have the whole story told her that particular event not having impressed itself on her mind i have read all through bonachose's history of france and halfway from the beginning again she explained but when one sits droning history in a row of droning girls even a murder doesn't make much impression upon one it's all put in the same dull dry way this year there was a great scarcity of corn the poor in the provinces suffered extreme privations queen christina of sweden while on a visit at fontainebleau ordered the execution of her counsellor mandaldeschi there was also a plague at marseilles the dauphin died suddenly in the fifteenth year of his age the king held a bed of justice for the first time since he ascended the throne that is the kind of thing you know i can conceive that so bald a calendar would scarcely take a firm grip upon one's memory assented the stranger details are apt to impress the mind more than events after this came the rooms which the pope occupied during his captivity rooms that had double and treble memories here a nuptial chamber there a room all a glitter with gilding a room that had sheltered charles v and afterwards fair and not altogether fortunate anne of austria daphne felt as if her brain would hardly hold so much history she felt a kind of relief when they came to a theatre where plays had been acted before napoleon the third and his lovely empress in days that seemed to belong to her own life i think i was born then she said naively there had been no other visitors no tourists of high or low degree the two girls and the unknown had had the palace to themselves and the guide mollified by a five-franc piece slipped into his hand by the gentleman had allowed them to make their circuit at a somewhat more leisurely pace than that brisk trot on which he usually insisted yet for all this it was still early when they came down the double flight of steps and found themselves once again in the quadrangle the court of farewells so called from the day when the great emperor bade adieu to pomp and power and passed like a splendid apparition from the scene he had glorified the sun had lost none of its fervour nay had ascended to his topmost heaven and was pouring down his rays upon the baking earth let us go to the gardens and feed the carp said nero and it was an infinite relief were it only for the refreshment of the eye to find themselves under green leaves and by the margin of a lovely lake statues of white marble gleaming yonder at the end of verdant arcades fountains plashing here under the trees a delicious coolness and stillness contrasted with the glare of light on the open space yonder where an old woman sat at a stall set out with cakes and sweetmeats ready to supply food for the carp-feeders yes let us feed the carp cried daphne running out into this sunlit space her white gown looking like some saintly raiment in the supernatural light of a transfiguration that will be lovely i have heard of them they are intensely old are they not older than the palace itself they are said to have been here when henry and diana walked in yonder alleys replied nero i believe they were here when the roman legions conquered gaul 
one thing seems as likely as the other doesn't it papilla i don't know about that but i like to think they are intensely old answered daphne leaning on the iron railing and looking down at the fish which were already competing for her favours feeling assured she meant to feed them the old woman got up from her stool and came over to ask if the young lady would like some bread for the carp yes please a lot cried daphne and she began to fumble in her pocket for the little purse with its three or four francs and half francs the stranger tossed a franc to the woman before daphne's hand could get to the bottom of her pocket and the bread was forthcoming a large hunch off a low long loaf daphne began eagerly to feed the fish they were capital fun disputing vehemently for her bounty huge grey creatures which looked centuries old savage artful vicious exceedingly she gave them each a name one she called francis another henry another diana another catherine she was as pleased and amused as a child now throwing her bit of bread as far as her arm could fling it and laughing merrily at the eager rush of competitors now luring them close to the rails and smiling down at the grey snouts yawning for their prey do you think they would eat me if i were to tumble in among them asked daphne greedy creatures they seem ravenous enough for anything there they have devoured all my bread shall i buy you some more please no this kind of thing might go on for ever they are insatiable you would be ruined shall we go under the trees if you like but don't you think the sunshine delicious it's so nice to bask i think i'm rather like a cat in my enjoyment of the sun your friend seems to have had enough of it said nero glancing towards a sheltered bench to which miss dibb had discreetly withdrawn herself martha i had almost forgotten her existence the carp are so absorbing let us stay in the sunshine we can rejoin your friend presently she has taken out her needlework and seems to be enjoying herself another strip of her everlasting counterpane said daphne that girl's persevering industry is maddening it makes one feel so abominably idle would you be very shocked to know that i detest needlework i should as soon expect a butterfly to be fond of needlework as you answered nero let me see your hand she had taken off her glove to feed the carp and her hand lay upon the iron rail dazzlingly white in the sunshine nero took it up in his so gently so reverently that she could not resent the action he took it as a priest or physician might have taken it altogether with a professional or scientific air do you know that i am a student of chiromancy he asked how should i when i don't know anything about you and i don't even know what chiromancy is the science of reading fate and character from the configuration of the hand why that is what gypsies pretend to do cried daphne you surely cannot believe in such nonsense i don't know that my belief goes very far but i have found the study full of interest and more than once i have stumbled upon curious truths so do the most ignorant gypsy fortune-tellers retorted daphne people who are always guessing must sometimes guess right but you may tell my fortune all the same please it will be more amusing than the carp if you approach the subject in such an irreverent spirit i don't think i will have anything to say to you remember i have gone into this question thoroughly from a scientific point of view i am sure you are wonderfully clever said daphne and then in a coaxing voice with a lovely look from the sparkling grey eyes she pleaded pray tell my fortune i shall be wretched if you refuse and i should be wretched if i were to disoblige you your left hand please and be serious for it is a very solemn ordeal 
she gave him her left hand he turned the soft rosy childish palm to the sunlight and pored over it as intently as if it had been some manuscript treatise of albertus magnus written in cipher to be understood only by the hierophant in science you are of a fitful temper he said and do not make many friends yet you are capable of loving intensely one or two persons perhaps not more indeed i think only one at a time for your nature is concentrative rather than diffuse he spoke slowly and deliberately coldly indifferent as an antique oracle with his eyes upon her hand all the time he took no note of the changes in her expressive face which would have told him that he had hit the truth you are apt to be dissatisfied with life oh indeed i am she cried with a weary sigh there are times when i do so hate my life and all things belonging to me except just one person that i would change places with any peasant girl trudging home from market you are romantic variable you do not care for beaten paths and have a hankering for the wild and strange you love the sea better than the land the night better than the day you are a wizard cried daphne remembering her wild delight in the dancing waves as she stood on the deck of the channel steamer her intense love of the winding river at home the deep rapid stream and of fresh salt breezes and a free ocean life remembering too how her soul had thrilled with rapture in the shadowy courtyard last night when her shuttlecock flew up towards the moon you have a wonderful knack of finding out things she said go on please he had dropped her hand suddenly and was looking up at her with intense earnestness please go on she repeated impatiently i have done there is no more to be told nonsense i know you are keeping back something i can see it in your face there is something unpleasant or something strange i could see it in the way you looked at me just now i insist upon knowing everything insist i am only a fortune-teller so far as it pleases me do you think if a man's hand told me that he was destined to be hanged i should make him uneasy by saying so but my case is not so bad as that no not quite so bad as that he answered lightly trying to smile the whole thing seemed more or less a joke but there are some natures so sensitive that they tremble at the lightest touch and daphne felt uncomfortable do tell me what it was she urged earnestly my dear child i have no more to tell you the hand shows character rather than fate your character is as yet but half developed if you want a warning i would say to you beware of the strength of your own nature in that lies your greatest danger life is easiest to those who can take it lightly who can bend their backs to any burden and be grateful for every ray of sunshine yes she answered contemptuously for the drudges but please tell me the rest i know you read something in these queer little lines and wrinkles scrutinizing her pink palm as she spoke something strange and startling for you were startled you can't deny that i am not going to admit or deny anything said nero with a quiet firmness that conquered her resolute as she was when her own pleasure or inclination was in question the oracle has spoken make the most you can of his wisdom you have told me nothing she said pouting but submissive and now let us go out of this bakery under the trees yonder where your friend looks so happy with her crochet work i think we ought to go home hesitated daphne not in the least as if she meant it home nonsense it isn't one o'clock yet and you don't dine at one do you we dine at six replied daphne with dignity but we sometimes lunch at half-past one 
your luncheon isn't a very formidable affair is it hardly worth going home for it will keep said daphne if there's anything more to be seen martha and i may as well stop and see it there are the gardens beyond measure lovely on such a day as this and there's the famous vinery and i think if we could find a very retired spot out of the can of yonder beardless patrol i might smuggle in the materials for another picnic that would be too delightful cried daphne clapping her hands in childish glee forgetful of fate and clairvoyance they strolled slowly through the blinding heat towards that cool grove where patient martha sat weaving her web as inflexible in her stolid industry as if she had been one of the fatal sisters what have you been doing all this time daphne she asked lifting up her eyes as they approached feeding the carp you have no idea what fun they are i wonder you are not afraid of a sunstroke i'm never afraid of anything and i love the sun come martha roll up that everlasting crochet and come for a ramble we are going to explore the gardens and by-and-by mr nero is going to get us some lunch martha looked at the unknown doubtfully yet not without favour she was a good conscientious girl but she was fond of her meals and a luncheon in the cool shade of these lovely groves would be very agreeable she fancied too that the stranger would be a good caterer he was much more carefully dressed to-day in a grey travelling suit everything about him looked fresh and bright and suggestive of easy circumstances she began to think that daphne was right and that he was no bohemian artist living from hand to mouth but a gentleman of position and that it would not be so very awkward to meet him in regent street when she should be shopping with mamma and jane they strolled along the leafy aisle on the margin of the blue bright lake faintly stirred by lightest zephyrs they admired the marble figures of nymph and dryad which martha thought would have looked better if they had been more elaborately clad they wasted half an hour in happy idleness enjoying the air the cool umbrage of lime and chestnut the glory of the distant light yonder on green sward or blue placid lake enjoying nature as she should be enjoyed in perfect carelessness of mind and heart as horace enjoyed his sabine wood singing his idle praise of lalage as he wandered empty of care they found at last an utterly secluded spot where no eye of military or civil authority could reach them now if you two young ladies will only be patient and amuse yourselves here for a quarter of an hour or so i will see what can be done in the smuggling line said the unknown i could stay here for a week said daphne establishing herself comfortably on the velvet turf while martha pulled out her work-bag and resumed her crochet-hook take your time mr nero i am going to sleep she threw off her muslin hat and laid her cheek upon the soft mossy bank letting her pale golden hair fall like a veil over her neck and shoulders they were in the heart of a green bosquet far from the palace far from the beaten track of tourists nero stopped at a curve in the path to look back at the recumbent figure the sunny falling hair the exquisite tint of cheek and chin and lips just touched by the sun-ray glinting through a break in the foliage he stood for a few moments admiring this living picture and then walked slowly down the avenue a curious idle way of wasting a day he mused but when a man has nothing particular to do with his days he may as well waste them one way as another how lovely the child is in her imperfection a faulty beauty a faulty nature but full of fascination i must write a description of her in my next letter to my dear one how interested she would feel in this childish undisciplined character 
but somehow when his next letter to the lady of his love came to be written he was in a lazy mood and did not mention daphne the subject to be interesting required to be treated in detail and he did not feel himself equal to the task isn't he nice asked daphne when the unknown had departed he is very gentlemanlike assented martha but still i feel we are doing wrong in encouraging him encouraging him echoed her schoolfellow you talk as if he were a stray cur that had followed us you perfectly well know what i mean daphne it cannot be right to get acquainted with a strange gentleman as we have done i wouldn't have mamma or jane know of it for the world then don't tell them said daphne yawning listlessly and opening her rosy palm for a nondescript green insect to crawl over it but it seems such a want of candour objected martha then tell them and defy them but whatever you do don't be fussy you dear good-natured old martha for of all things fussiness is the most detestable in hot weather as for mr nero he will be off and away across the jura before to-morrow night i dare say and he will forget us and we shall forget him and the thing will be all over and done with i wish he would bring us our luncheon i'm hungry i feel rather faint admitted martha who thought it ungenteel to confess absolute hunger that bread we get for breakfast is all sponginess shall you tell your sister about mr nero that depends i may perhaps if i should be hard up for something to say to her don't you think she would be angry she never is angry she is all sweetness and goodness and belief in other people i have spent very little of my life with her or i should be ever so much better than i am i should have grown up like her perhaps or just a little like her for i am afraid the clay is different if my father would have let me be brought up at home and he wouldn't asked martha she had heard her friend's history very often or as much of it as daphne cared to tell but she was always interested in the subject and encouraged her schoolfellow's egotism daphne's people belonged to a world which miss dibb could never hope to enter though perhaps daphne's father sir vernon lawford had no larger income than mr dibb whose furniture and general surroundings were the best and most gorgeous that money could buy no when i was a little thing i was sent to a lady at brighton who kept a select school for little things because my father could not bear a small child about the house when i grew too tall for my frocks and was all stocking and long hair i was transferred to a very superior establishment at cheltenham because my father could not be worried by the spectacle of an awkward growing girl when i grew still taller and was almost a young woman i was packed off to madame tolmache to be finished and i am to be finished early next year i believe and then i am to go home and my father will have to endure me how nice for you to go home for good and your home is very beautiful is it not asked martha who had heard it described a hundred times it is a lovely house in warwickshire all amongst meadows and winding streams a long low white house don't you know with no end of verandas and balconies i have been there very little as you may imagine but i love the dear old place all the same i don't think i should like to live so far in the country said martha clapham is so much nicer pas, said daphne indifferently the unknown came sauntering back along the leafy arcade but not alone an individual quite as fashionably clad and of appearance as gentlemanlike walked a pace or two behind him well young ladies i have succeeded splendidly as a smuggler but i thought two could bring more than one so i engaged an ally now dixon produce the clicquot the individual addressed as dixon took a gold-topped pint bottle out of each side pocket 
he then from some crafty lurking-place drew forth a crockery encased pie some knives and forks and a couple of napkins while nero emptied his own pockets and spread their contents on the turf he had brought some wonderful cherries riper and sweeter looking than french fruit usually is several small white paper packages which suggested confectionery a tumbler and half a dozen rolls which he had artfully disposed in his various pockets we must have looked rather bulky he said but i suppose the custodians of the place were too sleepy to take any notice of us the nippers dixon yes thoughtful man you can come back in an hour for the bottles and the pie dish dixon bowed respectfully and retired is that your valet asked daphne he has the misfortune to fill that thankless office daphne burst out laughing and you travel with your own servant she exclaimed it is too absurd do you know that yesterday i took you for a poor strolling artist and i felt that it would be an act of charity to give you half a guinea for that sketch you would not have obtained it from me for a thousand half guineas no i do not belong to the hard-up section of humanity perhaps many a penniless scamp is a better and happier man than i but although poverty is the school for heroes i have never regretted that it was not my lot to be a pupil in that particular academy and now young ladies fall too if you please here is a paragore pie which i am assured is the best that strasbourg can produce and here are a few pretty tiny kickshaws in the way of pastry and here to wash these trifles down is a bottle of the widow clicquot's champagne i don't know that i ever tasted champagne in my life how odd cried martha what not at juvenile parties i've never been at any juvenile parties we have it often at home said martha with a swelling consciousness of belonging to wealthy people at picnics and whenever there is company to luncheon the grown-ups have it every evening at dinner if they like papa takes a particular pride in his champagne they grouped themselves upon the grass hidden from all the outside world by rich summer foliage much more alone than they had been yesterday in the heart of the forest honest martha dibb who had been sorely affronted at the free and easiness of yesterday's simple meal offered no objection to the luxurious feast of to-day a man who travelled with his valet could not be altogether an objectionable person the whole thing was unconventional slightly incorrect even but there was no longer any fear that they were making friends with a vagabond who might turn up in after life and ask for small loans he is evidently a gentleman thought martha quite overcome by the gentility of the valet i dare say papa and mamma would be glad to know him her spirits enlivened by the champagne miss dib became talkative do you know clapham conman she asked the stranger i have heard of such a place i believe i have driven past it occasionally on my way to epsom he answered listlessly with his eyes on daphne who was seated in a lazy attitude her back supported by the trunk of a lime-tree her head resting against the brown bark which made a sombre background for her yellow hair her arms hanging loose at her sides in perfect restfulness her face and attitude alike expressing a dreamy softness as of one for whom the present hour is enough and all time and life beyond it no more than a vague dream she had just touched the brim of the champagne glass with her lips and that was all she had pronounced the paragoric pie the nastiest thing she had ever tasted and she had lunched luxuriously upon pastry and cherries i live on clapham common when i am at home said martha papa has bought a large house with a corinthian portico and we have ever so many hot-houses papa takes particular pride in his grapes and pines are you fond of pines not particularly answered nero stifling a yawn and where do you live when you are at home my pretty papilla he asked smiling at daphne who had lifted one languid arm to convey a ripe red cherry to lips that were as fresh and rosy as the fruit 
in oxford street answered daphne coolly miss dibb's eyebrows went up in horrified wonder she gave a little gasp as who should say this is too much but did not venture a contradiction in oxford street why that is quite a business thoroughfare is your father in trade yes he keeps an italian warehouse martha became red as a turkey cock this was a liberty which she felt she ought to resent at once but sooth to say the matter-of-fact martha had a wholesome awe of her friend daphne was very sweet daphne and she were sworn allies but daphne had a sharp tongue and could let fly little shafts of speech half playful half satiric that pierced her friend to the quick i hope there is nothing that i need be ashamed of in my father's trade she said gravely of course not faltered the stranger trade is a most honourable employment of capital and intelligence i have the greatest respect for the trading classes but you seemed surprised when i told you my father's position yes i confess that i was surprised you don't look like a tradesman's daughter somehow if you had told me that your father was a painter or a poet or an actor even i should have thought it the most natural thing in the world you look as if you were allied to the arts is that a polite way of saying that i don't look quite respectable i'm not going to tell you what i mean you would say i was paying you compliments and i believe you have tabooed all compliments i may be ruder than petruchio didn't you tell me so in the forest yesterday but any attempt at playing sir charles grandison will be resented i certainly like you best when you are rude answered daphne she was not as animated as she had been yesterday during their homeward walk the heat and the supreme stillness of the spot invited silence and repose she was perhaps a little tired by the exploration of the chateau she sat under the drooping branches of the lime whose blossoms sweetened all the air half in light half in shadow while martha who had eaten a hearty luncheon and consumed nearly a pint of cliquot plodded on with her crochet work and tried to keep the unknown in conversation she asked him if he had seen this and that and the other operas theatres horticultural fetes labouring hard to make him understand that her people were in the very best society as if opera boxes and horticultural fetes meant society and succeeded only in boring him outrageously he would have been content to sit in dreamy silence watching daphne eat her cherries such an occupation seemed best suited to the sultry summer silence the perfumed atmosphere but martha thought silence must mean dullness we are dreadfully quiet to-day she said we must do something to get the steam up shall we have some riddles i know lots of good ones that i didn't ask you yesterday please don't cried nero i'm not equal to it i think a single conundrum would crush me let us sit and dream how sweet it were hearing the downward stream with half-shut eyes ever to seem falling asleep in a half-dream to dream and dream like yonder amber light which will not leave the myrrh-bush on the height martha looked round inquiringly she did not see either myrrh-bush or height in the landscape they were in a level bit of the park shut in by trees is that poetry she asked well it's the nearest approach to it that the last half-century has produced replied the unknown and then he went on quoting but propped on beds of amaranth and moly how sweet while warm airs lull us blowing lowly with half-dropped eyelids still beneath a heaven dark and holy to watch the long bright river drawing slowly his waters from the purple hill papia i wish you and i were queen and king of a lotus island and could idle away our lives in perpetual summer 
we should soon grow tired of it answered daphne i am like the little boy in the french story-book i delight in all the seasons and i dare say you skate hunt and do all manner of things that couldn't be done in summer true my astute empress but when one is setting under lime-boughs on such a day as this eternal summer seems your only idea of happiness he gave himself up to idle musing yes he was surprised disappointed even at the notion of this bright-haired nymph's parentage there was no discredit in being a tradesman's daughter he was very far from feeling a contempt for commerce there were reasons in his own history why he should have considerable respect for successful trade but for this girl he had imagined a different pedigree she had a high-bred air even in her reckless unconventionality which accorded ill with his idea of a prosperous tradesman's daughter there was a poetry in her every look and movement a wild untutored grace which was the strangest of all flowers to have blossomed in a parlour behind a london shop reared in the smoke and grime of oxford street brought up amidst ever-present considerations of pounds shillings and pence the girl and her surroundings were so incongruous that the mere idea of them worried him and by and by she will marry some bloated butcher or pompous coach-builder and spend all her days among the newly rich he thought she will go into the fat wife of a fat alderman and overdress and overeat herself and live a life of prosperous vulgarity the notion was painful to him and he was obliged to remind himself that there was very little likelihood of his ever seeing this girl again so that the natural commonplaceness of her fate could make very little difference to him better to be vulgarly prosperous and live to be a great-grandmother than to fulfil the prophecy written on her hand he said to himself what does it matter let us enjoy to-day and let the long line of to-morrows rest in the shadow that wraps the unknown future to-morrow i shall be on my way to geneva panting and stifling in a padded railway carriage with oily frenchmen who will insist upon having the windows up through the heat and dust of the long summer day and i shall look back with envy to this delicious afternoon they sat under the limes for a couple of hours talking a little now and then in a desultory way martha trying her hardest to impress the unknown with the grandeurs and splendours of lebanon lodge clapham common daphne saying very little content to sit in the shade and dream then having taken their fill of rest and shadow they ventured out into the sun and went to see the famous grapery and then martha looked at her watch and protested that they must go home to tea miss toby would be expecting them nero went with them to the gates of the palace and would fain have gone further but daphne begged him to leave them there you would only frighten our poor governess she said she would think it quite a terrible thing for us to have made your acquaintance please go back to your hotel at once if you command me to do so i must obey said nero politely he shook hands with them for the first time gravely lifted his hat and walked across to his hotel it was on the opposite side of the way a big white house with a garden in front of it and a fountain playing the two girls stood in the shadow watching him he is really very nice said martha i think mamma would like to have him at one of her dinner-parties but he did not tell us anything about himself did he daphne did not hear her there was hardly room in that girlish brain for all the thoughts that were crowding into it End of chapter three